When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Progressive presents Married to Your Home. I'm such a screw-up. What? House? Why would you talk like that? How are you even with a house without a walk-in closet? Stop. You have more than enough storage. Oh, yeah. And the unfinished basement. Gross. We'll finish it eventually. Together. No matter how much you already love your house, you'll love it more knowing you could save big bundling your home and auto with Progressive. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Hey, hello, how are you? This is episode 61 of Potterooney, and it's been a long time since I did one. Long time since one went out because I've been so busy. I've been doing so many gigs. I'm trying to talk now like uh, Christopher Walken. I've been doing... No, I'm not, actually. So many gigs that I uh, couldn't do. And I was doing my tax returns, which... That just takes ages and it's a horrible job. I just hate it. And I always leave it till the very last, very last possible moment. Are they actually, I actually get them in within hours of the deadline. But I did it. And I managed to switch accountants in the, in, in the meantime, just at the last minute. And get it all done. So I'm sure you're happy with that, that I got all my tax returns in. I'm sure you've been waiting with bated breath, wondering, did Joe Rooney get his tax returns in? Well, rest assured, I did. I'm fine. No problem. And this episode, I'm talking to Ralph Roll, the drummer with Chic. Now, he's been drummer for a long time, and um, he was over here this uh, episode. He's been drummer with Chic for a long time. Before that, he drummed in the Apollo theatre and uh, grew up in the Bronx just uh, two floors down from Africa Bambata and he will uh, that will all be in the interview so no need to go on about it huh? but uh, he was a great guy and he was over in uh, Ireland for the electric picnic this is an old enough interview but I've had it um on my computer for a while because I just haven't had time to get things out there but uh, he makes cookies as well as drumming and he uh, he was demonstrating some cookie cookie cooking at the electric picnic and um, I think you know he wants to uh, open a cookie premises here in Ireland and and since then I've met him again actually at BIM, the college for music and he did a drumming clinic there, brilliant, absolutely amazing nice guy, it's a great interview um, so, so many things have happened, now, by the way I'm just walking down by the canal here at Old Bridge near Drada it's absolutely it's actually quite still but it's beautiful, it's so oh, what a great autumn we've had this year a wonderful autumn 
with I've just seen a ripple in the canal there's probably a fish or something in there but what a great autumn uh, the colours this autumn they seem to be better than most years I mean it looks amazing here there's lots of yellows and oranges and it's quite still mm, that kind of no breezes no rain I, literally none of the branches are moving not even a tiny little breeze it's quite nice. Uh, so, since the last time I talked on this podcast, what have I been doing, you may ask? I don't know, because I don't even know how long ago it was, but I'll tell you what I've been doing recently. I was doing a lot of gigs. I was at the Galway um, Comedy Carnival, the Vodafone one, yeah. And uh, I did a gig in the Black Box and in the Spiegel tent there, with Jason Byrne in the black box with David O'Doherty. That was great crack. And I also recorded a live, in front of a live audience podcast uh, on the Saturday afternoon. And that was with Carl Spain and Kevin McGarren. Uh, that'll come out quite soon, perhaps next week. And uh, I also um, did another gig in a different Spiegel tent down in Wexford with the kind of a Father Ted theme and the band and the whole... Malarkey, that was great. And, uh, ooh, there's a little bit of a breeze. Where did that come from? And uh, I also, what else I did, uh, some other gigs. Dan Mullingar, kind of a Father Ted gig with um, the band and all that crack. And uh, the uh, brothers, what were the brothers called? And they sang in the Eurovision and the song is, what uh, My Lovely Horse song is based on, or at least the video was based on that song. Oh, there's a man fishing down there. I better not talk too loud because I'll scare away the fish. And I don't want my podcast getting a reputation for fish scaring. So uh, that's what I've been up to. Lots of gigs. And, and last one, I, uh, the last podcast, I interviewed Ger Walsh. Ger Walsh is the director of a film called South, which is premiering in three days next Thursday the 17th of November and then it's going nationwide that's the thing I've been uh, I was in and did and will be doing and then on Friday I'll be going down to Sligo to do another Father Teddy type gig, tell me when I say Father Teddy yeah, I'm doing a gig with uh, Patrick MacDonald and Michael Redmond and because the three of us were in Father Ted well we call it Further Ted but we're doing stand up what else happened what else happened, are you joking what else happened I'm now living in a post-Trump era. I, this is the most mad thing ever, that this man... I think possibly last time I spoke about him, I just said, what? He's an idiot. He's an idiot who, if he was going for the local... to be elected to the local county council in Meath, people would go, what an idiot. He's, he's boasting about grabbing women and all this malarkey. But he's a, he's a, he's going to be the president of, of, I mean, that's nuts. It's nuts. It's feckin' nuts. The only thing I good about it is, it's kind of, almost like, you know, I mean, you know, Obama was the yes we can, yes we can, positive, positive thing. But you could take that out of the Trump being the president. I mean, if he can become president, God knows, you could do anything. You can do anything if you believe in it. 
I really, I think, possibly. That's the only time positive thing I'm kind of, kind of trying to take out of it. So, well, fuck, you gotta take something out because it's fucking depressing. It's like a fucking film. It's ridiculous. It's like 9-11 was like a film. You go, this, this can't be real. It's a film. Donald Trump being president is like a film or whatever. Let's, anyway, we talked to Raf Roll and it's, um, it's a good interview. It's before all this Trump thing happened, but we talk about the black situation in America as well. Well, enjoy it. It's Ralph Roll. See you on the other side, baby. <laughs> So, Ralph, you're over here um, to promote your uh, cookies. Yes. That's correct, yeah. Yes. So you were at the electric picnic? I was at the electric picnic at the mm. Theater of Food, and mm. uh, it, was a, it was a great day. Yeah? yeah? Yeah. I had a really, really good time, a really nice presentation. Uh, the place was full. We did a lot of uh, laughing and, and, and mm. uh, eating of, of cookies. I did some drumming. Yeah, so it was all kind of uh, intertwined into a, a nice presentation about my company. So basically, you were uh, showing how to make good cookies, and yeah, then drumming while they were while they were in the yes. oven. Was it? <laughs> so when they went in, what I, what I what I did is I I asked the audience to be my timer. So everyone, of course, has a, a cell phone that has a timer. So huh. I got many people to at the same time. Like I said, we act we have to act like we're secret agents. So at the same time, we have to synchronize our watches. Mm-hmm. So we all started. They all started their their phones in ten minutes and boom, yeah. And they all went off at the same time. It was fun. Yeah, that's cool. It's yeah. a good festival. I, I really enjoy. I've it. done it before. It's yeah. it's. Um, I think it was like for Nile Rogers and Sheik. It, mm. it was kind of like a breakthrough festival for us. That that in Glastonbury to let people know who we actually were. Sheik, you yeah. had to let people. You don't need to. Well, let there was a, you know, <laughs> it, it, to me there was a time mm. where people didn't know the group but knew the music. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. Now I think people know both, mm-hmm. more so in other countries, like in Japan. People know about Nile Rodgers and Sheik, but it's a smaller mm-hmm. audience of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I would talk to people in America. It's a whole other world. You mm-hmm. talk to people about Nile Rodgers and Sheik, and mm-hmm. some people go, "I'm, I'm not really sure." And then you go, "Ah, oh, freak out!" And they go, "Oh, I know that." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So now it's, it's weird because I, you said you were a punk. You just told me there before we, we started recording. But So I was a punk growing up. And yeah, we were into punk, but we we were into disco as well. We started buying chic uh, records. And uh, you said you were in music, right? I was in music. But, yeah. but right after music, mm-hmm. I was in a punk rock band called James Chance and the Contortions. Contor- amazing, amazing band. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah we toured a lot in Europe, yeah. That, that's incredible. <laughs> that's I, mean, I, did, I didn't connect you with that, I must no, say. No, well, yeah. it was you know kind of a crazy thing, like a kid from the South Bronx and the Projects ends up being in a, in a <laughs> punk band. Yeah, and you toured Europe with them? We toured Europe a lot. Wow. Yeah, we did a lot of things. It was the first time that I got a chance to uh, come to Europe was with, uh, with James, James mm. Chance, yeah. And they were pretty high energy. I, I mean, I remember looking at, we used to have one of those, uh, I don't know what album I had at home, but there's a photo on the back of a live gig and the audience just looked wired. Yeah, it was. Yeah, they were wired. Yeah, I, I've seen <laughs> yeah. some some crazy things yeah. in that band, yeah. I'd say there was... Interesting band. Very little sleep. Um, 
<laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, and how did you get involved with music then? But that's a song, um, Bush, 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 in Bush, Bush, right, Bush. You know Bush. I want to get down. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I love this guy. <laughs> um, in where I grew up in Bronx River, on the first floor was a musician. His name was Wade Taylor. His nickname was Puggy. Right. And Puggy used to hear me because I lived on the third floor. He lived in mm-hmm. 1F and I lived in 3F. Mm-hmm. And Bambada, Africa Bambada, lived down the hall in apartment 1C. Mm, wow. Um, so Puggy would hear me playing drums. Mm-hmm. And um, he, the audition, he was in the band. He, he found out that there was, there was a need for a drummer because the drummer name is uh, Tyrone Govain. Mm-hmm. He got another gig. So he said, yo, man, come down and... Uh, you know, audition for this this band. Mm-hmm. So I went and I got the gig, mm-hmm. and it was my first time to ever leave the country. It was my first time ever being on an airplane, first time ever doing a tour. It was a lot of firsts yeah. in that particular. Yeah, I was scared. We were in Air, Air uh, Mexico, Air Mexico. Yeah, and um, I was sitting in my seat trying to be cool, mm-hmm. and the plane took off down the runway, and I could feel my mouth getting dry and me getting nervous. And as soon as the plane lifted, I just started laughing uncontrollably. Yeah. It was like, I'm, this is the best thing in the world, you know, to be flying. Wow, it's really cool. Yeah. So it was it was nice. I'm, and I've never looked back from there. It's funny, actually, because the first time I flew, I think I was about 20 as well. Mm. And it was such a big deal. And it kind of kills me now that I'm so passe about flying. Because it is an amazing thing, flying. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're, you're going at... Two or three hundred exactly. miles an hour, you're yeah. taking exactly. off, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but uh, so uh, around that, what year was that then, music? was 78. 78. And what time was, yeah. would Sylvester have been around that time? Because oh, he wasn't in New York, he was in Sylvester was around, around, this is the late 70s. Yeah. So I believe Mighty Real was uh, was out around the same time. Around as, the time. Uh, Chic, Grace Jones. So right. it's all around the same time, yeah. Yeah, what an amazing yeah. time for disco. Yeah. And hip-hop. And hip hop then started up, yeah. So and you were literally a few doors down from Africa. We were, we were childhood friends. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He wasn't. He wasn't Bambada then. He was. His name was Lance Taylor. Yeah. But Lance. Then he changed it to uh, Bambada. But we were we were childhood friends, and uh, mm. we used to uh, we used to play together for a very short time. Yeah. My my mother was a very strict woman, and she uh, she picked all of my friends. Mm. And I wasn't allowed to play with him. <laughs> oh, with with no, no. I'm my mother really picked Africa, all of my friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was he was a bit of a wild kid. Oh, my, my mother's intuition was pretty spot on, mm. and I would question it because I'm a kid. You know, he's just a guy mm. in the neighborhood, and I, you know, she would say, "I don't want to see you with this kid or that kid," and I would always go, "Well, what's what's you know?" And, and she would give me that look like, "Are you really asking me why?" Mm. And then I knew she's not playing. And I better not be with that person. Mm. And I have to say, she was—I would say—almost 100 percent right. Yeah, yeah. Would you say that's what steered? Like, it, you need to have a strong mother or strong parents to, to if you're growing up in the projects to yeah. to keep you grounded. And keep well, you... um, I have to say that I was probably one of the lucky ones because my mother, mm. being a single parent, mm. she raised four kids. By herself. It's my older sister, and then my brother, then my other sister, and then me. I was the baby. Mm. And I never can remember a time when she wasn't working. 
either one job or two jobs or sometimes two jobs and, and something on the weekend. That's just the person she was. Mm. And while this was all going on, my mother ran the Tenants Association, the Tenant Patrol, the Garden Program. In the summertime, she ran the Summer Youth Program. Mm. She was the president of the Tenants Association and the Tenant Patrol. And she was the crossing guard right on the corner. Wow. So she's, she's um, a key person in the community. Yeah, she yeah, mm. she, yeah. For up until uh, you know, up until the day she died, my mother was in the hospital writing proposals. Yeah, for the, for the, yeah, for the neighborhood. Yeah, she was. So I got it honestly. I, it was. It just. It's in my DNA. You know, I love working with people. I love helping people. It's just a natural part of me. It's it's, mm. it's something that. Um, I, my sisters and brothers, um, especially my two sisters, my brother, he's, he lives in Virginia. He has uh, um, four daughters. They're all grown now. Mm. But he's an engineer. And he had to run his company. But in New York, my older sister was uh, a union organizer for one of the biggest hospital unions. Right. My sister uh, was a principal until she tired, retired. Yeah. And, and then I'm the drummer business owner. So we're, we're all kind of public servants. Right, yeah, yeah, and and and, and, um, and that's something. Uh, maybe I'm wrong here, but in America, that kind of isn't a. Uh, it, I get the impression that that kind of public service isn't look isn't respected as, as much as it might be here. I, I, maybe I'm wrong well, here. Well, I, I don't know what it's like here, but I know mm. that in America there are a lot of um, volunteer agencies mm. that people. Um, some of them are, are very. Uh, People are very well involved. Mm. For years, mm-hmm. I've been trying to get my daughter and uh, and myself, and my wife, to volunteer for Thanksgiving. Right. Yeah. But every year, it's an overabundant amount of people that we can never get in. You have to like reserve three years in advance oh, really? to, to be able to help serve okay. food. So, so, so um, it's not something that's publicized as much because things are so crazy right now. Mm. Um, but you so, know when Obama wanted to bring in the change the health system, there was yeah. such an uproar about that, which seemed to us over here seem bizarre. It's 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 uh, yeah. I mean, just just on a quick note on the political side, mm. um, what we missed was eight years of a man who mm. understood the working class because yeah. he was part of the working class. He was a president and is a president that didn't come from money. Mm-hmm. He still was paying student loans. Mm. So he understood the plight of the working person. Um, but there were folks that were just hell-bent. Just their mission was to make sure that he looked bad. Mm. Um, and those folks with money And well. these are folks with money because mm. that position of power is beyond anything that any of us could ever imagine. Mm. And they didn't want someone of his background or political uh, affiliation mm. to have that much power. So Mitch McConnell, when he was first elected, when Obama was first elected in 2008, mm. Mitch McConnell, um, who was, uh, the, the, I think he was the... the uh, spokesman for the GOP, Mm -hmm. instead of him saying, well, congratulations to our new president and we'll, as a country, we'll stand behind him and we'll do whatever we can because that's what we do. His first words out of his mouth were, and I quote, 
my goal is to make him a one-term president. Was it? That was. I, I'll I'll send you the link. Mm. And it was kind of shocking because it kind of gave people that were paying attention a true glimpse of what was about to happen. Mm. And they set out to do that, and that's what they did. They tried to shut him down in any way. If he, if he said yes, they said no. If he said up, they said down. If they said in, he said out. It was just back and forth all the time between him and them. And it, 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 was, it was very hard because the man was only trying to do the right thing, as you said, with the health care system. Mm-hmm. As, a, as, as a, a, a civilized country, we're one of the only countries that didn't have socialized medicine. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to Japan. Just I know I said a minute, but I went to Japan on a tour. It was a five, six-month tour just recently. And the day before the last show, I got violently ill. Mm. Didn't know what was going on. I had no clue. I, could, I couldn't sit, stand up. I couldn't sit down. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. Mm. So I didn't say anything because I'm the musical director. So I went on stage in a lot of pain, and I did the show. But right after the show... I, I talked to my translator. I said, listen, I think I might need to go to the hospital and find out what's going on. Mm. Well, they, it sent off alarms around the, the organization that I work in because I've been there for so long. I go to the hospital. They give me blood tests, a CAT scan, uh, a CT, uh, well, CT CAT scan. Mm. They gave me a sonogram. Um, they ran, a, I mean, a battery of tests that they run in America. Just take a guess what that, that might have cost. A night in a hospital. Just take a wild guess. I don't know, maybe thousand dollars or something. Probably somewhere in the neighborhood of around six thousand dollars. Really? No, absolutely, absolutely, without a doubt. And you would <clears throat> be billed for that if that happened. Oh, that's why people in the, in America don't. People who don't have health care are afraid to get sick. Yeah. Because they know it could bankrupt them. I'm serious. It could bankrupt their families. Mm-hmm. If you have any length of stay in a hospital, it's going to be in the tens of thousands of dollars. Jesus. So when I left. afford to get sick. No. And people will tell you, well, I cannot afford to get sick. Mm. So I'm checking out of the hospital and I'm like, oh, man, this is going to kill me. Oh, my God. What am I going to do? I get the bill. Take a guess how much that bill was. Just, I just please. I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, they say $500. It was under $100. Really? Yes. That's amazing, isn't it? It was honestly amazing. Yeah. And that is because the government the, 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 believes that health is important. Yeah. And they take care of their citizens. Yeah. Just like so many other countries. You, yeah. shouldn't, you shouldn't have to go bankrupt if you get sick. And this is what Obamacare was all about. Mm-hmm. In his head, it was a very... Uh, it, it's not so much of an illusion he had about what would happen, but he thought America would say, you know, this is a great thing. But when these very rich people saw what he was trying to do and saw that their bottom line was going to be affected, mm-hmm. he kind of forgot that the owners of these insurance companies are these same very rich people. So they basically just said, you know what, we'll just raise the premiums and keep raising the premiums and make Obamacare look really bad. And that's what's been happening. So it's, it's the, the the odds have been stacked against them yeah. over and over. But again. it's so, sick. I mean, it's it's actually killing people. It's, it, it's people are dying. 
Yeah. So yeah. It's, and there, there are many people that, that are saying, if it wasn't for mm. Obamacare, I know I'd be dead. Mm. It's a good idea. It's a very good idea. But... Mm. And they're trying to get, you know, I mean, in, in Britain, they're trying to get rid of the national yeah. health system, which is pretty bad. It's pretty bad. So, and then in, I, I don't suppose, um, uh, like I was, I was watching, uh, I don't know why, yesterday I was watching a documentary about the Biggie Smalls and Tupac Shakur, and uh, there was a thing about the police being involved in their murders as well. Well, and, well it's know. been rumored on the street. Mm. Allegedly, that um, not so much Tupac's killing, but Biggie's killing mm-hmm. was done by a police officer. Mm-hmm. That's allegedly. And mm-hmm. they never caught the guy. They never caught the guy to actually do it. And people know. And eventually he will get caught. Never even investigated it. Yeah. But yeah. he'll get caught eventually because his ego would get out of control and he'll tell somebody and somebody would tell someone else and he'll go mm-hmm. to jail for it. But... It's been rumored for many, many years that that was someone who was a part of a gang that happened to be a police officer hmm. that was ordered to go and do this. But, like, it does seem that the police in America don't seem... They, their whole idea is you're supposed to be serving the people. Yes. That's not happening, is it? Okay, mm. let, let, let's be clear. Mm. And I say this in all honesty. There are some incredible league great police officers mm-hmm. in, in America. Incredible. Um, I have people in my family I don't like. So you're not going to get perfection everywhere. Yeah. That's just the way life is. Mm-hmm. But what's been happening is that there's been a concentrated amount of murders mm. in the African-American community mm-hmm. that is is the it's a, just a, a, a drastic difference between what happens uh, throughout America. Yeah. So this is why it's giving the police off. It's it's not a personally is not a good way to look at uh, our policing. Mm. Now, the responsibility falls on the heads of all police. So if a police officer does something that is not good. They're all responsible for that. Just like if my daughter goes to school and hits a kid, mm. that's I know it's my daughter, but I'm responsible for that. I have to accept that responsibility because I'm connected with her. Yeah. So it's the same thing in the police department. These are really some of these cops are really bad, but here's what the problem is: these cops that are doing these terrible acts mm. that are getting caught on video. They're literally getting away with murder. Yeah. And they're, some of them are being put behind a desk, so mm. they're still getting paid. But they're getting away with it now. And they, if there was no filming the police, they'd be purely getting away with it. Now they're seen, but they're still getting away with it. But. Right. This is what's crazy. So they were <laughs> yeah. getting away with it before mm. uh, cell phones. Mm. Now they're getting away with it after. So this is why the uproar has been overall with the police department because it's more about how the system is ran and how they're dealing with these crimes. You know, there was a, there was a guy named, uh, his last name was Luima mm. and he was arrested for something and he was taken to jail and, and he was sodomized by, with a, with a nightstick. Jesus. And the, the police officer lied. His mm. partners and everyone that was involved, they all lied 
it went on talk radio and there was you had the left wing and the right wing and you know and everyone's saying that that he was probably wrong and and then they went in and they they looked at him surgically and realized that his colon had been punctured Mm. and that just didn't happen and he sued the city the cop went to jail but that took a very long time to get to the truth of it all mm. because that you have that blue wall of silence. I don't know if you know what that is. That's when the police, no matter what, they just don't tell on each other. Okay. Good, bad, or indifferent, they don't tell on each other, mm. which causes even more problems because now if you're part of this blue wall of silence, then that means you're a part of the problem. Mm-hmm. You're just as guilty as the officer who was corrupt that did this. Right. Because you're not saying what's going on because of this blue wall of, of silence. So that's what's been going on mm. in America as far as policing is concerned. But honestly, as I said, there are some incredibly wonderful, hardworking, abide-by-the-rules police officers I'm sure, all yeah. over America yeah. that are catching a bad one because they're, they're brothers. Mm. Some of them are not. And it's very simple. The The analogy that I use is... Um, <laughs> there was a time in New York and the the, um, the Taxi and Limousine Commission finally had done something about it. But if you were black in New York, to catch a cab was almost impossible. Yeah. They just drove past you. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I would do, so what I would do, the same studio, um, can we hold for one? Yeah, sure, yeah. No and could you answer this and tell I'm in the interview? Yeah, just tell I'm in the interview real quick. Yeah, um, what I would have to do, the same studio that Tupac first got shot is called Quad Studio. Okay. The owner of Quad Studio um, used to let me use the studio at a low price because he knew I was a young producer. Mm. But I would leave the studio at like five in the morning, wanting to go home, not wanting to get on the train because I was tired. And mm. I would go out in front of the studio on 7th Avenue and 48th Street to try to catch a cab. Mm. And the cabs would just zoom by. So what I did is I would walk down the street to the Marriott Hotel, which is three blocks south. I would walk in the hotel and walk out as if you I stand were staying at the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a to different get in the kind cab. of black man. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. So, but there were times when all of a sudden I got in and the cab's not going uptown. You know, but I'm like, you, you're, you're for hire. I just got in your taxi. He says, well, I, you know, if you were going downtown, I'm like. That'd be fine. Instead of arguing with him, I would just get out. But it's 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 a painful God, situation. That's, that's but, tough. I, but, I'm not surprised. That doesn't make you really angry. But, no, but but, mm. but here's the thing. Mm. It does. Mm. But it's it's how you deal with that. F- say, for example, let's just say for argument's sake, mm. it was a, um, say it was a white cab driver. Just say. Mm-hmm. It, could, it could have been any, any ethnicity at all, but I'm just going to use this as an example. Yeah. Should I... Now blanket all white cab drivers in New York City mm. as being like this guy. That's the easy way out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what people do. The same thing with the cops. The same thing with black people. The same thing with white people. The same thing with Mexicans. The same thing with Asians. People have an incident with one particular person, mm. and now they blanket the entire culture of that person with that one incident. That's called ignorance. Yeah. What you what you should naturally do, which some people don't, you deal with that individual mm-hmm. as what his act did to you. Mm-hmm. Not 
everyone that looks like him. That mm. just doesn't make natural sense. But this is what happens overall, and not just America, mm. but around the world. If you have a it bad situation. Here with travelers, you know, travelers, yeah. yeah. So if some traveler starts to fight in a pub, that's that's what travelers are like, you know. Right. You know, yeah, that's yeah. my point. Yeah. That's exactly my <laughs> yeah. point. No, that's what that traveler's like. Yeah, yeah. You know, so we have to try to have a little more um uh, of an open-minded thought about about uh racism and mm-hmm. and prejudice and and not deal with it as a blanketed thought but an individual Yeah, well act. exactly, because if yeah. uh, if a settled person starts fighting the pub, you don't go all oh, people who live in houses that's what they do. But that's, <laughs> but that's what people do. That's yeah. what some people do. Not all. Yeah. That's what some people do, which mm. is kind of tough. You know, I mean, I have a whole philosophy behind this whole thing about how I feel about, you know, um, the immigration system. And mm. when people came over from, you know, to Ellis Island, you know, they were migrating to America on, on many boats. It's it's. I have a whole philosophy. We'll talk about that next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's get back to drumming then. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so you started drumming, I believe, on your brother's drum kit. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And my you're... my brother and I, um, Howard Rowe, we call him Howie, um, mm. was a really different kind of kid. Mm-hmm. He um, he was a tinkerer. So there were times when you would come home. And the back of the stereo was 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 taken apart, mm. and there was wires coming from the speakers to some other speakers and another. He was always tinkering, mm. and my mother was like, "Boy, if you don't put my stereo back together, I swear." <laughs> <laughs> but in his tinkering, he loved mm. um, he loved music. He loved all types of music. What he loved was um, Motown. Mm. Big Motown fan. That's you know, one one of the one of his songs he loved was uh, a song by Marvin Gaye called "Jealous Kind of Fella." Yeah, killer song. Yeah, it's really good. You 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 look it up now. It's yeah, called "Jealous well, Kind yeah. of Fella," and then, and he had a reel to reel that he used to put all. He used to tape it off the radio. He put the microphone near the radio, and he would tape all of his songs yeah, on the on the on the on the uh, reel to reel. Yeah, but on that reel to reel had Jimmy McGriff. Had um, uh, 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 Rare Earth, the Chambers oh, yeah. Brothers. Right, okay. Um, uh, oh, Happy Day. Oh. It yeah. had all different mm. types of music, which in turn, me wanting to just be like him, I just listened to everything that he listened to. Mm-hmm. And then when the drums came and he's playing drums, obviously now. I guess I want to be a drummer too. Mm, you know, yeah. so if my brother combed his hair to the left, when I had hair, I <laughs> I combed it to the left <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so he was he's always been an idol you of followed mine. Followed him, but you're le- you're left-handed, so you you you, t- yeah, you played the drums yeah, well, he set told up me I, for a right-handed. He said mm-hmm. I could play just don't change the drums around. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm I'm a left-handed drummer on a right-handed mm. kit, so I play open-handed. Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of worked out in my favor cuz I could do a lot of percussion on the left side and Keep uh, keep groove on the right side and and it, you know all together and sing and you know all kind of stuff. So. Right, cool, cool. Yeah, my son actually plays drums. He's left-handed, but he switches it over. Oh, he switches it over. Okay. Yeah. Maybe uh, I could convince him to, you know. Maybe it's too late. He's eighteen. He's ah. probably <laughs> <laughs> But um, so then you what did you play in the Apollo? Was it the Apollo? 
I was the house drummer yeah. at the Apollo Theater for 17 years. Yeah. It was one of the greatest jobs I've ever had in my life. And so the Apollo, what would happen is people would come on and it would be like a sink or swim type of... It, it was, it was where... to me, the concept for X Factor was, was the Apollo. Right, right. Yeah. You know, the, you can get booed off at any second, like the gong show. Yeah. You, you come on, if you were good, you could keep going. If not, you got to go. So that concept came uh, from a guy named um, Ralph Cooper, Ralph Cooper Sr. Okay. He was a band leader back in the, in the 40s. Actually, he was the guy that discovered, discovered uh, Billie Holiday. Mm-hmm. So he brought this show, Amateur Night, to the Apollo. Mm-hmm. There used to be a, 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 a tree called the Tree of Hope that all of the dancers, singers, uh, musicians would rub this tree for good luck. Mm. And um, they widened the avenue and they cut the tree down. And Ralph Cooper took a part of that tree and brought it in. So when you came on stage, he announced your name. You'd rub the tree of hope. Yeah. 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 So it's been a big, it's still at the Apollo. Mm. Um, but when I went to the Apollo, one of the first groups I'd ever seen was a group called the Jackson Five. Yeah. I was a kid. I was nine. Yeah. And... I'm walking down the street, and I'm reading the marquee, and I see Joe Simon, uh, some the five stair steps in the Jackson 5. And I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking the Jackson 5, I don't know why, was a gospel group. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't know. But I go in, and on Saturdays at the Apollo Theater, uh, it was always two shows. So it was one show, you had a movie, you had some cartoons, mm-hmm. and then they did the second show. So... And, and the way how I got to the Apollo, my mother uh, used to tell my sister, if you want to go to the Apollo, you got to take your little brother. And it would always make her mad, but I always ended up going. Mm-hmm. So this particular day, we go to the Apollo. Um, the Jackson 5 come on stage, and I'm sitting on, on stage left about maybe 10 rows back. I remember it like, like we're sitting here now. And the Jackson 5 come on stage, and this little kid named Michael comes out and burns the stage down. Wow. And I sit there with my mouth hanging open going, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. I want to I want to do that. I don't want to mm. be an entertainer. Yeah, yeah. And um the the bug for music just kind of mm. with my brother's um with all of his influences and playing the drums in the house, it just kind of mm-hmm. you know, I just wanted to do that. You know, and was it around that time that the hip hop was starting as well? I mean, you're a bit older. It was then. a little bit older. It yeah, was a little yeah, bit yeah. later, maybe about ten years later is when hip hop. Okay, okay, well, okay. Yeah, ten, ten to eight years later is when hip hop started, and hip hop in Bronx River started kind of like a fluke, and we'll talk about that again, and uh, unless you want to talk about it now, I would love to. Okay, I would. <laughs> yeah. So, um, mm. but the drum thing for me mm. um, and playing music trumped me. Um, wanting to be an engineer. And I took mechanical engineering for four years. Mm. But I was sitting in class one day, and something just hit me, and I said, what the hell am I doing? I don't really want to be this. I want to be a musician. Mm. So when I told my mother that I wasn't going to go to Pratt Institute, which is a school for engineering, Mm. she thought I lost my mind. She thought I just must have fell on my head on the way home from school. Mm. But it wasn't for me. It just wasn't my calling. But I can understand a mother being fearful of her son getting into the music business. Yeah. And, you know. My sister says she'll be very, very proud right now. She's, she's proud saying, now, yeah. That's what she, she says. Of course she would. So, <laughs> hip-hop. Mm. Mm. Um, 
Africa Bambada was an only child. Hmm. His mother was a nurse. Um, she worked days, and Bambada was alone by herself a lot. So right above me in 2F was uh, the, uh, the Reeves family, and they used to babysit um, Lance, Lance at the yeah. time. And their son, Corey, and their other son, Butch, the older son, they were into music like you wouldn't believe. They were always at the record store buying records. So Lance's love of music, I believe, came through that connection. Mm. Because when the Reeves played their music, they played it loud. Loud and like um, pumping that across. Oh the, yeah, the no. In, in their stereo in the, in the living room was just ridiculous. Yeah. and we lived right above them. My mother All used right. to flip out. She's the president of the tennis association, so she's like, "You can't play your mu- music that loud. You're disturbing yeah. everybody." Yeah, you know. So it was always like a kind of battle between her and them, and you mm. know, people banging on the pipes because of music, and they didn't care. Mm. They didn't care. So, so Lance, um, mother bought him. Uh, his own turntable and he started buying records down on the first floor Mm. now it just so happens that his bedroom window faced the community center and outside of the side of the community center was a bunch of benches so he started playing his music in the window Mm -hmm. now this is just with one turntable just just playing music just playing music and then people started requesting uh, music Mm. and then DJing became popular people started getting these two turntables techniques and and he was like wow you know i got a lot of records and Mm -hmm. so what happened at that point is him making such noise my mother went to him and said you can't keep playing your music out the window like that you're Mm -hmm. disturbing other people so she actually was kind of a little bit involved in the whole hip hop. That's amazing. Uh, she <laughs> yeah. was responsible the birth for birth of hip hop. Yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, which I didn't find this out until believe it or not, until someone older told me this. I didn't even know this. Yeah. She had talked to the uh management office about allowing him to go in the back of the center to bring his music back there for people okay. to be able to listen to. Yeah. And that's how it all kind of got started. And then, With then him he started getting, scratching yeah. and Yeah, and the following mixing. You know, the following was big because he would play all of the popular music. Mm. Then he's playing, you know, with, which is now called break beats because break dancing um, was just starting. There was a girl in our neighborhood named Eartha. Mm-hmm. Eartha was the best. She invented a lot. Believe it or not, this is a female invented a lot. And I don't even yeah. think she's in any of the hip hop history. Wow. But Eartha was one of the baddest break dancers back there. And it wasn't yet about spinning on your head. Breakdancing started more as a you were you were kind of dissing the other person that you were dancing with, like you do all this thing in their face. Oh yeah, really? Kind of try to trip them up, and you know, just just foolishness. Yeah, yeah. And that spawned the whole breakdancing ah, phenomenon. Wow. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so uh, that's so. Then did it become uh, come out in the street where people were, um, uh, you know, kind of rapping. It's man, you know when it started off, it was kind of like dissing someone else. Yeah, right, wasn't right. it? Yeah, and all of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, when the crew started getting together, rap was not really an individualistic thing. Yeah. DJing was. Yeah. But rapping, it's it started to become cool with crews, mm. like 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 Flash and the Furious Five. Yeah, Grandmaster. You know, the Funky Four Plus One. Mm. Um, 
then that's when the Curtis Blows came later on. Mm. Like Sugar Hill Gang was the same thing. It was a crew. Mm. They were all crews. So um, it back then it was about just being cool and rhyming about cool stuff you wish you had, okay. but you say you had it. But it wasn't about really disrespecting anybody. It was about just having fun mm-hmm. and being a party. And me being the musician, the early part of hip hop, I was not a fan at all. Mm-hmm. I didn't even like hip hop. I just, yeah. I didn't like hip hop because I saw the inner elements of what was going on, and it just seemed like it could be problematic. Mm-hmm. You know, as it as it grew bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, which I was kind of right. You know, the, you the, mean it would become a violent thing or a, a like a yeah, yeah and. Yeah. I was right because yeah. some of the jam set, jams that you would go to in the park, yeah. a lot of them would end up violent. Some of them didn't. Yeah. But you just that little bit of volatility, I didn't want to go. Because who wants to go to an event Yeah, thinking mm. that something violent is going to happen or mm. there's a fight going to break out or some gang That's is like going to come? They and say in that Tell a Soul song, who is the baddest brother, the one who needs attention in the loudest band? Or whatever. Always yeah. found that the jams would never dance, just provoke violence to to one glance. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's the truth right yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, So, yeah. like I said, it wasn't all of the jams that you went to, but you can rest assured that people in the back of their mind was like, we're at the jam, watch your back. You're mm. at the jam, watch your back. Because mm. you just never know what's going to happen. Mm. So, that totally, you know, a, f- a few other things is the reason why it just kept me away mm. from the hip-hop. Because I wasn't, I just wanted to have a good time. Mm. I didn't want to have a good time and have to fight to do it. I just wanted to have a good time. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so when they, when you see information about gangs being involved with um, hip-hop, mm. um, that was because Bambada was involved in some gangs. Yeah. So <clears throat> it was the people that were with him that were gang members that caused that whole understanding of that portion of the hip hop thing. Mm. But in the beginning it was all about just having fun. Yeah. And then it just kind of morphed into some mess. Yeah. And then record companies started supporting the violent side because yeah. negativity sometimes sells more than positivity. Mm. You know It's like actually when I was li- uh, watching that thing about Biggie Smalls because he kinda made out that he grew up in a shack and there was never food on the table. But it turns out he, he his mother was great and he he grew up well, you know. Yeah. But he had to make out that it was right. rougher because, than it was. Because that was what was selling. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, what was yeah, selling. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. that direction. Now, if being positive was selling platinum, everybody would have been positive. Yeah. But yeah. someone got caught on the negative side and how many mm. records it was selling. Mm. So everybody was like, well, I guess that's what I got to say. I'm a gangster. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, come on. Mm. You went to private school. Mm. You know, come on, your mother's a nurse. Come on, man. Yeah. You know, but you know, my mother is a nurse, and I'm <laughs> <laughs> she treats me well. Right. She cleans my wounds. <laughs> you know? So I don't know if you know. I don't know. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what? That's so, very funny. So how did you uh, hook up then with Sheik? Then that that was, um, that was a good bit later, I guess. That was that was. Yeah, the Sheik gig happened. I wanted to be in Sheik forever. Mm. From the first time I heard Sheik, and, and I was at a roller skating ring in the Bronx, mm. and uh, La Freak came on, and I used to always call the song Freak Out, because that's where it started. I didn't know it was called La Freak. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, yo, that song Freak Out is crazy. And as soon as that song would come on, the rink floor would get packed, 
and people would skate faster and it would just be a frenzy. Then the energy level was just out of control because mm. the song is telling you freak out. Mm. Now Rogers made it okay and Bernard Edwards made it okay to freak out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, it wasn't yeah. a violent freak out. It was just like, yo. No, it was fun. Right. Yeah, and yeah, also yeah, at the yeah. time there was a dance called The Freak. Oh, so yeah. the freak was this dance that you kind of. The reason why they called it the freak because it it allowed you to touch your ah, partner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So guys could touch the girl and she, you know, she'd be all into it and mm. she touch you and you know that's why it was called the freak. It's, it's, it's funny because you say you were roller skating to yeah the freak because I used to roller skate at, at where I grew up uh, to another one bites the dust but but Nile Rogers was involved with that right. too but. I used to uh, pretend to fall and fall on a girl. That's how I used to, <laughs> That's that how I used to get to touch a girl. Right? <laughs> I never thought of that one. Because be like another one, but it's just... <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd fall, and that's how I got to touch girls. <laughs> Because we didn't have that's we didn't funny. we didn't have the freak dance. That's funny. That's very very funny. So um, anyway. so years years later, I I I um well before that, I met Nile on Forty Eighth Street, mm-hmm. and I was I was so like, oh wow, this is Nile Rogers. Yeah. And um, he was he he came into the city from uh, wherever he was living at the time, because he was feeling kind of down, mm. and he says, well, what do you do when you feel down? And I, I didn't answer, but he answered anyway. I, 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 say, I didn't say what. He said, you buy a Jaguar. And I just kind of looked at him like, now that is not what I would do. Yeah. I would buy a burger at McDonald's <laughs> and, and a shake and, you know, wipe the tears with the napkin. And that, that's what I do. I can't, I, don't, I, don't, I can't relate. Yeah. But um, <laughs> that was the first time we ever met. And then I heard there was an audition. Hmm. Um. It really wasn't an audition for drums because Omar had to, Omar Hakim basically had the gig because he had worked with Nal before, mm-hmm. but they made it a publicity thing. So they might have been auditioning others, but they wasn't auditioning drummers. Then years later, I saw Nile at an event that he was being honored, and I was playing drums at that event, and I tried to play my freaking fingers off so he can hear me, but he wasn't paying any attention. Mm. So I felt it like, you know, the jilted lover, like, what do you mean you're not, you're not noticing me right now? You know, but he didn't, he didn't pay any attention then. And then um, he was a co-musical director for a woman named Katie Couric, who was a big uh, uh, newscaster in America, and her husband had passed away mm. from, um, I think it was colon cancer. So she ran this event, and, and now I was... Uh, musical director along with another guy and the artist that I played for was Elvis Costello Sting no. wow. Vanessa Williams mm. uh, Martina McBride uh, did I say Vanessa Williams? you did okay uh, it was quite a few it was really nice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know I got a chance to play with these really big artists and uh, and that was great cool. so now I got a chance to hear me yeah, yeah. So now I'm at an event at my daughter's school, and my phone rings, and it's a drummer who was in the band at the time mm. saying that he needed to sub out what I like to do the gig. And I said, you know, no problem. So I'm like, wow, I'll get my chance to finally, get, you know, play with Nile Rodgers and Sheik. So I, I want to do my best. So I got the music. I studied. I wrote my own charts. Mm. Uh, Nile set up a, a rehearsal with me, him, and Jerry Barnes, bass player. The rehearsal lasted for all of one and a half songs. And now said, okay, you're fine. Yeah. And that was it. 
So the next time I saw uh, the band was at the gig in Switzerland. Mm. And I'm like, wow, I didn't get a full rehearsal with the band. But, you know, I went in, I did the gig, and they offered me the job. Cool. And that was now more than 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So now like me. That's great, though. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And he so, seems like a really nice, cool guy to work n- with. Um, not because he's my boss. Mm. Not because he's paying me to say anything. But um, if you knew Niall, uh, like I now know Niall, he is one of the nicest, funniest, giving, uh, special people that I have ever worked for. Mm. He's a really genuine, nice guy. Mm-hmm. Smart. I mean, he's, it's like he knows about every subject. So sometimes mm-hmm. I email him and ask him about something, and he'll give me a full rundown. You know, we'll be talking on the bus, and you know, he'll give me a full. He give everyone a full rundown. Mm-hmm. So he's pretty well versed in a lot of areas. You know, his charity, We're Our Family Foundation, mm-hmm. does some pretty great things for people around the world, uh, especially young people, especially the youth. And um, he's he's a, it's an honor and mm. a privilege to work in this band. We we if you've seen us perform, the smiles that you see on stage are, are all extremely genuine. We like each other. Yeah, and you if, get that impression. I mean, I saw you playing Forbidden Fruit. I don't know, three, yeah, four years ago. But yeah, we do. We honestly amazing. like each other. We support each other. We, mm. you know, just recently there was an earthquake in um, Italy. And our sound team, um, our monitors, Marco in front of the house, John, uh, Ryan, live in Italy. Mm. And we're all connected to a messenger, with a group with everyone. So it's not just the band. It's the techs. Right. It's it's the, the roadies. Yes. <laughs> it's all of us. Yeah, we uh, are all that close. That's cool. It's Nile. We're all in this group, so mm. we immediately started, you know, uh, messaging, uh, messengering. If uh, you guys are you okay, mm-hmm. you know, we remember kids' birthdays uh, in 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 the group. Uh, my daughter came out with me three weeks ago, mm. and she was treated like family. Of you know, it's just it's a. I'm lucky because mm. we've all been in bands where you really don't want to stand next to the guy. Because he can really be that, yeah. You know, I can't curse, but I think you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. You know, and that no. that that pulls on the music. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's now more of a thought than just a vibe. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of times when you're playing music, you don't want to think. You just want to vibe. You want to vibe with the audience. You want to vibe with the other band. You want to, you know. So Jerry and I, bass player Jerry Barnes, the, one of the baddest dudes I ever played with. Yeah. If you watch us on stage, we are laughing most of the show. Me and Jerry are looking at each other like we are longtime lovers, <laughs> you know, who, <laughs> who've been in this relay. That's how we look at each other because yeah. that's the connection that we have and want with each other, you know. So it's it's just a great situation, you know. Kim, Kimberly Davis, a lead singer. Yeah, that girl is probably one of the most underrated singers on the planet even though she's she's Sheik's lead singer she should be she should be like in the category with Aretha Franklin mm-hmm. and I'm I'm not just saying that go and listen to her on YouTube okay. and go and listen to her sing I Want Your Love and listen to what she does with that song the girl is by far in a, in a class by herself I love Kimberly everyone in the band 
It's just amazing. I love I love you guys if you're listening. I love you all. Please be listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want your love. What an amazing song as well. Yes. Amazing, amazing song. So let's get back to your cookies then. Yes, so sir. Are you, are you, uh, when did you open the store in the Bronx? Is that, mm. um, the cookie company first started in 1996. Mm. It was a way to save money for the holidays. My girlfriend and I had 36 friends right, okay. um, that we wanted to give gifts to. We couldn't afford to give gifts. Okay. So I had said, well, why don't we just bake cookies for the people? And so we said yes. We went down to the 99 cent store right behind Macy's. Uh, we bought these tins. We made up these little cards, mm-hmm. and we we you know we're from the ghetto. My my ex girlfriend was a Juilliard graduate, also from the projects. Yeah, and I'm a professional musician. At the time, I was on on TV, so for fun, we called the cookies ghetto cookies. All right, that's what we call them. We're ghetto cookies. They're from the ghetto. Mm. They're cookies. They're ghetto cookies. Mm-hmm. And everybody got the product, and they loved it. And said, man, these are some amazing cookies here. You, uh, you should think about selling them. Mm. And I said, you know what? I've always wanted to do that. This is the time. I guess this is the message. Mm-hmm. So the company's birth was ghetto cookies. Yeah, really? I'm serious. And you learned about baking from your mother? From, from my grandmother, yeah, my mother. From your yeah. grandmother. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I like and being in the kitchen. It's, it's fun. It's entertaining. Yeah. Anytime you go out to a restaurant, me or you, it doesn't matter where, we're going to be entertained. We mm. want... We want you know, like where we're sitting right now in this beautiful hotel. Mm. This is entertainment. This is beautiful. It was designed this way to make people feel a certain way. Mm. And that's the same thing with music. So my the, my company name is called Taste Bud Entertainment. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Cool. You know, doing business as the Soul Snacks cookie company. Yeah. yeah. And so you deliver all over New York from we the We deliver, yeah. yeah. We sell, we have a factory in the Bronx about mm. 15 minutes from my house. Mm. Uh, we sell to about 100 stores, mm-hmm. from hospitals to delis to restaurants mm. to um, not-for-profits, mm-hmm. all different kind of uh, people uh, uh, buy the product from mm-hmm. us. And, um, and you're hoping then to, to, to open something here in Dublin? Yeah. Or? Well, actually, in New York, we just signed a lease for a restaurant right across the street from City College on Amsterdam Avenue, 136th Street. Okay. But we're, I'm here to set the groundwork for uh, partnering with someone mm-hmm. to open up a, a store here. That would be amazing. Well, thank you. I think we have a good food menu as well as a great uh, great cookies, gluten-free, diabetic-friendly cookies as well. Yeah. Uh, ice cream. Co- nat- we're calling them natural ice cream sandwiches because it's the cookies that are freshly made with some ice cream that will tear your head off. Yeah? Yeah, it's really good. Well, I hope in, in six months or a year's time you'll be here and... Yeah, hopefully. In. I'm I'm looking forward to mm-hmm. uh uh finding someone that, that uh I can work with. Uh, would you would you live part time here then or? Yeah, yeah, what what I what I the same thing that I do in Japan. It mm. would it would be um four months every four months, excuse me, every three months, yeah. excuse me. I would travel, uh-huh. stay, oversee the operations, but someone will be on the ground here yeah. to oversee everything. And you know, we have we connected to Modern communication, so I don't have to actually be there all the time. Yeah, yeah, of course. You yeah, know, there's yeah. like in my shop in New York, there's cameras set up in the shop. Oh, uh, so you know. can actually see what's happening if you're over in yeah, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, Japan mm-hmm. or something. That's so, incredible. It's, uh, actually, it's it's cool the way the world is that way. You can yeah. you can run a business. Yes, and you can. You can. Time, yeah. And you know, it's it's also about having good partners and good people that you work with. Like, you know, right now I'm working with uh, Anne McCoy, and. Mm-hmm. She's she's my basically my manager mm-hmm. and my publicist, and she's she's 
my go-to person. So mm-hmm. as my company grows, it's, it's just a no-brainer that she would, you know, be in charge of everything that we're doing because mm-hmm. right now she's really, like, making Grand Slam home runs out the park every time we, yeah. you know, go. So, yeah, she's amazing. She's, yeah, she is. No, no one can have her. She's mine. So <laughs> yeah. don't don't call Ann McCoy. <laughs> she's gone. She's taken. She's gone. Don't call. Don't write a letter to Ann at soulsnacksnyc.com trying to get her to work for you. <laughs> no, please do because she knows what she's Position doing. has been filled. <laughs> she knows what she's doing. <laughs> okay, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Thank Ralph. you. This was a great interview. Oh, thank you. Thank you so Thanks much. for taking the time. Yeah, man. So let me interview you now. So, so tell me more about you. I grew up in a project called Kildare. (laughs) (laughs) It still hasn't moved on. (laughs) Okay, thanks a minute. What about that, Ralph Roll? What a guy. And uh, great, friendly, good, positive man. And we need that. We need that because it's 2016, the year of all just when everything went on its head. When we've just recently, two days ago, lost Leonard Cohen, David Bowie, Prince, Lemmy, God knows how many others. And it's... Trump got in. What the fuck? I don't know what's going on. This, uh, this is, uh, this seems like the weirdest. It does feel like something is changing in the world. Uh, it could be just coincidence, but it it does feel weird. You know, it's like the death of the '60s. All that positivity, or the progressiveness of the '60s when democracy pushed further. I mean, things became more democratic in America, anyway, and um, all that thing, all that stuff's been rolled back. And well, we've got to stand strong. And this episode is sponsored by Jack Cody's. Just to change the subject completely, you know, just to change it completely. It's sponsored by Jack Cody's. It's a craft beer based in Drada, spelled D-R-A-W-D-A. If you want to pronounce it correctly, Drada. But actually spelled D-R-O-G-H-E-D-A. And uh, beautiful craft beer. You can find it online. Jack Cody's Craft Beer. Some lovely uh, flavors. Duxy is my favorite. But Hibernicus is wonderful too. And Smiggy. And Lazy Eye if you really, really want something strong. Yeah, so uh, that's the that's the story. That's the crack. Uh, listen, uh, next week I'm going to put out the... Uh, um, I've got Colin Mockery that I talked to down at the uh, Galway Festival and I had a chat of course with Carl Spain and Kevin McGarren. I've got a few others in the vault as well. Yes, it's a vault. It's not really a vault, it's a hard drive. But um, I've got some in there. So keep listening. I'll, I'll get, uh, I'm, I'm going to be freer now and I'm going to put them out. And uh, you, you, thanks for subscribing. And please, oh yeah, thank you to a few people who got back to me and gave me suggestions for people... And and with uh, Sinead, thank you very much. Very uh, nice of you to say what you said. They were all positive things, if you were wondering. And Ronan Collins, not the Ronan Collins, but the Ronan Collins in Kansas City, who uh, sent me an email with some real positive stuff there, you know. 
And uh, yeah, so if you're first time or if you're an anytime listener, get on the iTunes. Give me a five five star rating, please. Thank you very much. Uh, get back to you know if you want to talk to me. I'm on Twitter, Joe Rooney one. I'm on the website www.joerooneycomedian.com, and you can um, find me in the phone book. So uh, uh, that's it from me, and uh, that's it from my dog who shall remain anonymous. That's it from the canal here at Old Bridge. A leaf just dropped out of a tree. Tree didn't mind. You can take a leaf out of the book of the tree. Not a literary leaf. Oh, fuck. I'm just talking shit. So, uh, um, I'll see you. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. 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 Progressive presents Don't Do It Yourself. Okay, simple enough. Just got to get in there with my screwdriver. Do you mind handing me my screwdriver? Are you trying to say screwdriver? Well, I mean, you're saying it weird, but yeah, sure. Look, maybe we should bundle our home and auto with Progressive. We could save big and pay someone to install this for us so you don't have to pretend you can. (laughs) I know my way around a screwdriver. Oh, yeah. This is going to take a Philippe's head for sure. Save when bundling home and auto with Progressive and use the money to, you know, not do it yourself. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations.